Hey, so excited about this. We're going to start a new series today called Joy to the World. But man, as we move into that, I just want to say that uh, Communion Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays just because just getting to see, uh, you know, just the church family worshiping the Lord like that together. So thank you so much for that. Now, I don't know how it is for you. How many of you here today are kind of like, we don't start preparing for things uh, for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. How many of you are kind of like that? Thank you for the godly people here in the room. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very, very much. We had a big debate on the staff a couple of weeks ago, and I said, we were talking about this because a couple of people on our staff, they start getting ready like September and October. And uh, I said, well, at my house, we like to give gratitude to God, you know, before we go into Christmas. And then I think it was Emily or Gina said, well, we like to celebrate Jesus' birthday every day of the year. Like, okay, fine, fine, okay, okay. Yeah, sometime back in September, early October, I went to Walmart and I couldn't believe my ears. You know, they have the music out in the parking lot and there was Christmas music going in the parking lot and you go inside and there's a Christmas aisle already, even before Halloween. Now I thought, what is happening? You know, I don't really listen to the lyrics of Christmas songs, but <clears throat> yesterday I was putting out my Christmas lights, 15, 12 hectare, looks awesome, go by and see it. And uh, listening to, you know, you know Mix 94 because they played Christmas music all day long. And uh, I've heard this song a thousand times, but for some reason yesterday, it just caught my ear. It's a song by Andy Williams. I've been listening to it since I was a kid. Listen to this. It's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap- happiest season of all with the holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap- happiest season of all. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I had a couple of thoughts as I was listening to that song. Number one, how happy is hap happy? You know, really, I was was like, you give your kids the iPhone 15 Pro with titanium? like, hey, are you happy? No, daddy, I'm half happy. I mean, this is amazing. This is incredible. Thank you so much. But what if everyone isn't telling you to be of good cheer? A lot of people out there on social media, cable TV saying, you know, America's best days are behind her. Just expect, you know, uh, you know, dread and Armageddon from here on out, you know. What if friends don't come to call? You know, Christmas is the loneliest time of year for a lot of people, according to sociologists. What if you don't have marshmallows for toasting? <laughs> you know, these inflationary times that we live in, you know, it's like, hey, daddy, can we have marshmallows for toasting? No, did you see how much daddy had to spend to put gas in the truck? No, we're not having marshmallows this year. And then what if your loved ones aren't near? You know, I know a lot of people who've lost loved ones this past year. It's going to be a hard, hard Christmas. It struck me, the entire premise of this song is that you can have the perfect Christmas. It's a it's the most wonderful time of the year, provided that everything goes just right. You know, provided you got just the right circumstances, everything's going to go great. It's the hap- happiest season of all, as long as things happen the way they're supposed to. And yet, yesterday, I also heard, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Listen to this. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. 
Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not then, said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust him from Satan's power and might. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. You know, the Andy Williams song was probably written in the 1970s. And the, uh, you know, God rest you, Jerry, Mary gentlemen was probably written in the 1670s. All right. Big, big difference in perspective there on what happiness and joy and gladness is all about. So we're in this series called, uh, you know, Joy to the World. We're going to talk about this for a few weeks. And today the, t- the title is Indescribable Joy. Did you know the word happiness? You talk about the hap- happiest season of all. The word happiness itself, it comes from a word that means luck. It's, the old, it's an old Norse word, it's an old Viking word, the word hap with two, with two Ps, and it meant good luck. And the World Happiness Report, it's this huge survey that's done all around the world, and it began back in 2012. And the United States back in 2012 came in 11th. People were stunned. They said, how could the most wealthy, uh, the most powerful nation the world has ever seen, how could it come in 11th? You know, Iceland is ahead of us. There's nothing there but ice, okay? They came in ahead of us. In the most recent report, however, the United States dropped eight places. Back this year, we're now the 19th happiest nation on earth out of 149 countries. An American uh, survey of happiness that was done in May, they said the results were the lowest they'd seen since they began Back in 1972. But you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. You know why? Because so many good things happen at Christmas, don't they? See, that's what's really wrong here, is that we really have, we really misconstrued the difference between happiness and joy. I want you to look at this chart up on the screen for a moment. Happiness is cosmetic. You know, it's, it's outward, okay? It's like, you know, you know you, we can all smile. I don't know if you're the world champion smiler, a little girl that smiled for 10 hours straight, all right? So it's possible as a human being to smile, even though you're miserable inside and you're hurting, it's possible to smile for a very long time, especially like maybe an hour at church, okay? You can come in here and you can smile, make everybody feel, you know, think everything's, everything's going great for me. Joy, on the other hand, has to do with your character. It's an inward work. It's, it's, it's an inside job. And we're going to talk about this for the next few weeks. Uh, happiness is earthly. What, what does that mean? It meets your surface needs. You know, you, you feel happy because of what's happening. Uh, joy is spiritual. It, it's, it's when you meet the needs of your soul. And when you start from the outside trying to go in, that's happiness. But when you start from the inside trying to work out, that is joy that we're talking about today. Happiness is like a thermometer because it just reflects your life conditions. If things are happening good, it's happy, then hey, uh, you know, then I'm happy. But joy is like a thermostat. There gets an inward work of God, and it actually regulates, it kind of controls, you know, how you feel, uh, even though you, things on the outside may be bad, you can still have joy. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we rejoice in our sufferings. And then also happiness dissipates in times of trouble. It just, it just leaves. 
But then joy is a thing. It's so incredible. It's supernatural work of God. It actually develops in times of trouble. Now, the Word of God never tells you and I to rejoice in our happenings, but to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, we're going to talk about that some more in a couple weeks, but I want you to think about this. No matter how much you own, no matter how much influence you have, no matter how many followers you have on TikTok or Instagram, no matter how handsome you are, how beautiful you are, how, quote, successful you are in the eyes of other people, no matter what your family is like, no matter what your, your, uh, your life may be like right now, those things cannot bring joy into the deep human heart. Because if you rejoice in your circumstances, your happenings, those things are going to change. If you rejoice in your possessions, cars rust, houses crumble, uh, clothes fade, and they fray at the ends, things like that. If you rejoice in your friends, sometimes your friends move. Sometimes they disagree with you. Sometimes they vote for the other party and you have a conflict, same thing, things like that. And if you rejoice in your family, families change over time. My wife and I were just talking the other day about how much our family, our extended family, has changed even just in the last few years through death and divorce. Rejoice in the Lord, the Bible tells us. Why? He will never change. He will never leave. He will never forsake you. And how do we rejoice in the Lord? How do we get this kind of a joy moving in our lives? When we start talking about having joy in Christ, we have to begin with the Christmas story. I mean, because you read the Christmas story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you just see joy all over the place. You see Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, they were filled with joy because they were having miracle children. God was doing miracles in their lives. The angel told the shepherds, he said, I bring you good news of great joy because a Savior has been born to you. The shepherds were filled with joy when they found the baby Jesus and they ran into Bethlehem and they told everybody about what they had seen, what they had witnessed. The wise men were exceedingly joyful when after their long trek through the desert, they found the baby Jesus and they knelt down and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then when Jesus was about eight days old, they took him to the temple and there's a man there named Simeon who'd been waiting to see the Messiah. And he grabbed that little baby and it, the Bible says he was overwhelmed with joy that he had a chance to hold the Messiah, the awaited one in his arms. The the joy that Jesus was bringing into the world was unlike anything that the world had ever known before. And it's literally an extraterrestrial joy. It is a joy that is not of this world. And there's no greater joy than the joy that Jesus possessed and he gave it to us. Despite what you might have seen in movies, read in books, or, or heard on social media, Jesus was filled with joy. That's why children love Jesus, because he was a man of joy. And so we see in John chapter 15, verse 11, John said to his disciples, I have told you all these things. What? All these things I teach you and tell you, so that my joy might be in you, so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Wow. Think about that. That your joy could be the fullest possible joy. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2, if you would. When Matthew wrote this biography of Jesus called the Gospel of Matthew, his purpose was to portray Jesus as the long-awaited king 
that was coming, the King of the Jews, the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Christ and Christos, the anointed one, was coming. And so that is kind of his purpose. And so you understand with him wanting to portray Jesus as the long-awaited king, why he would tell this story, the story of Jesus and the wise man. Chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to what? Worship him. Please underline worship in your Bible. Very important to this story. King Herod heard this. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, they said. For this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Likely it had been months, if not maybe even a year earlier. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and what? Worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, if you have an NIV, that's a little bit understated. If you had the old King James, it says they were (laughs) filled with exceedingly great joy. We're going to talk about that in a moment. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense. And my, oh, I love that story so much. Notice the timestamp here. This is after Luke chapter two. As I said a moment ago, it could be months or even maybe a year, even two after the birth of Jesus. Now, these were highly educated men, these wise men, these magi. They were the counselors to the kings off to the east, about 900 miles to the east in the cities of Babylon, right near present-day Baghdad in Iraq or Persia. They were well-versed in astronomy, astrology, mathematics, history, and theology. We first heard about these men back in the book of Daniel. Notice this uh, verse in Daniel chapter 5. A woman, the queen of Persia, said to her husband, the king, there is a man in your kingdom who has insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. He is the chief of all the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Here's what probably happened. These magi, these wise men, they became students of Daniel and of the Old Testament. And so there were some of them that had such respect for Daniel. Here we are hundreds of years later, and they are still looking for the prophecies to come true that Daniel had showed them in the Old Testament. And so they knew about Messiah's coming. uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 says, I see someone who will come someday, someone who will come but not soon. A star will come from Jacob. A ruler will rise from Israel. 
So that motivated them to get on the camels and start coming to the west. And they say here, they told Herod, we, see, we saw his star when it rose. Did they see a constellation? Did they see a comet? Was it a supernatural light in the sky? The best answer is we really don't know. But we do know this. They had traveled very far, 900 miles at least, gone to great trouble and great sacrifice of time and money for one purpose. He said, we have come to worship him. That word worship means to kneel down before someone and kiss their hand, to bow down and prostrate yourself in front of someone, to kneel down in adoration, respect, humility, and profound awe. Psalm 95.6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. They had not come this great distance to observe, to verify, like, wow, we saw that constellation. Man, let's go see if it really happened the way Daniel said. No, they had come to worship. And these powerful man, men who were the makers of kings in their home country, they had come all this way to worship and kneel down before a child. Man. Look at verse 3. When Herod heard that these men, who were called the makers of kings in Persia, he was disturbed, and all the Jerusalem with him. Why? That word really literally means his spirit was struck with fear and dread. It's a very intense word, actually. Jesus has not spoken a word. He has not performed a miracle. He has not taught any doctrine. His influence on the world, though, it immediately manifests itself. The powers of evil are shaking in their boots. They are filled with dread. It was the motivation of these wise men that so disturbed Herod and all of Jerusalem because this baby in the manger was not some curiosity. His birth wasn't merely interesting, all right? They had made great sacrifices to come and worship him. Look at verse 9 and 10. When they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. They saw the star. It stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, it says, they were overjoyed. As I said a moment ago, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So what you have here is you have Matthew. He's trying to find the words to describe how these men felt as they were nearing the presence of the king. And he could have just said, and they rejoiced. And we would have understood what he meant, okay? But instead, what does he do? He piles up word upon word here. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. There's no other place quite like this in your Bible. It's an indescribable joy. And I just want you to see up on the screen here. There are these four words. You see that he rejoiced. And there's that word in the Greek. It means a state of gladness, to be delighted. And then exceedingly is an adverb that means extremely or, or very much. And then great is that word mega. So, you know, we get the word mega from there. And there's something of great magnitude or great effect. And then another word for joy, kara, a feeling of great inner gladness and contentment. It's almost as if they could not have experienced more joy than that, or they might, their heads might explode or something like that. It was so, so intense. It's a joy, Matthew's describing here, that's not really humanly possible. 
the wise men experienced an otherworldly joy. Why? Because they had one focus. They had one mission. It was to worship Jesus. You know, when God gives us joy, it supersedes anything this world has to offer. Even the hap, hap, happiest day of all. Psalm 103. May the hearts of the people who seek the Lord celebrate and experience joy. Look to his face constantly. Remember the wonderful things he has done. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I, I, was struggling. I was working on this message and I had told my wife at lunch a couple of days. I said, I said, honey, I don't know what's going on. I just can't, I can't find my joy. You know, I, you know, usually I'm really up and ready to go, you know. And I was down for a couple of days. And I, I told her, I said, I don't know why. I don't know why. And as we were preparing and I, I saw Psalm 103, I said, remember, it says, remember the wonderful things he has done. And I think I began to dwell too much on the things that I felt like God wasn't doing. And I began to dwell on things that God has done. And the joy comes right back. Comes right back. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. By the way, that word bowed down is real dramatic here. It means to, to throw yourself to the ground in the presence of greatness and glory, like a divine being or maybe an emperor, something like that. We can envision them falling on their faces before Jesus and say, Jesus, you are greater and I am lower. Jesus, you are more, I am less. That's not, that's not, that's not my name there. That's, you know, <laughs> okay. Somebody told me this morning, by the way, my name, my name is in the word blessed. You know, I don't know if y'all ever noticed that or not. Okay. My name shows up every time you say the word blessed. All right. You are king. I am servant. You are Lord. I am worshiper. And, and it's important to note here that Mary wasn't worshipped. We, we respect Mary absolutely, absolutely for her character, right? She's an amazing, amazing woman in Scripture. But we don't revere Mary. She wasn't the focus of worship there. Did you know in the Gospels that people bow down to Jesus nine different times? And I'm not going to list them all here for, for you, but <clears throat> this is the first one. This is the, as Jesus is only maybe a year old, he already has people bowing down to him. You might remember the, the woman that was bleeding and she was healed just by touching Jesus' garment. And when Jesus said, who touched me? She went and she threw herself down before him. Peter, after that miraculous catch of fish, the Bible uses kind of the same word. He knelt down, he threw himself down before Jesus. He said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He knew he was in the presence of glory. The Gadarene demoniac who had a, a, a legion of demons, hundreds of demons that had taken control of his mind and his body. And when Jesus set him free, he threw himself down at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. And Mary, when Jesus arrived at her house after he had raised her brother Lazarus from the dead, she knew, she knew what the wise men knew. This is the king. And this is what the Bible says happened in John chapter 12. When Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, Martha served and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. 
What would that be like? Sitting at the table having supper with the guy who'd been dead. Incredible. Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she had anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiped his feet dry with her hair, and the house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Is there a more beautiful passage anywhere in the Bible? Mary just worshiping Jesus, taking that, that, that perfume that someone later says, this is a, a year's wages, and she's wasted it. And Jesus said, no, no, she's worshiping me. Leave her alone. You won't often have this chance to do this. You see, this is the second time in his life that Jesus is being worshiped and adored, bowed down to as he is worthy of the first time was with those wise men. She worships him as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 11, we are full of joy in God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says we are full of joy because of Jesus Christ. We have to begin with that fundamental understanding that Jesus is joyful. If there's one thing that Jesus was, he's most definitely joyful. And if we're going to have joy, we need his joy in the depths of our soul. In John 17, Jesus was praying and he said, he said, Father, I'm coming to you and I say these things while I'm still in the world so that my joy may be complete in them. Who is them? Those guys over there, my 12 disciples whom I love and I care for, who are going to multiply and and bring more to me. I, I want my joy to be in them. And Paul says, we are full of joy, notice here, because of our Lord, Lord, Jesus Christ. When you are fully committed to the Lordship of Christ, He's the vine, you are the branch. Lord, you are the supplier. I'm only a receiver. His joy comes to you. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. All right? Uh, love is number one, gold medal, joy, very close second, silver medal, all right, in the fruits of the Spirit. We don't generate joy, this joy. We don't produce joy. We can't manufacture it. We can't conjure it up. All we can do is receive it as a gift of God's Spirit. And Paul is saying here, I have made Jesus the Lord of my life. I worship him. I'm in awe of him. I revere him. I offered myself to him. I sacrificed for him. And because he is the Lord of my life, I am full of joy. You know what? Years ago, I bought a book. And I picked it up not too long ago. And I've had it for like 30 years. One of the very first books I ever bought in ministry by a guy named F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer was an incredible preacher and teacher. He traveled all over the world uh, in the early part of the 1900s. And he was kind of famous because in, he had taken over a church in London, only had 100 people in it, and it grew to 2,000 people. A 2,000-member church was huge in the early part of the 20th century. And for many years, he was successful, but he was miserable. He was so unhappy. And in that book, he talks about his experience of how he found joy. He had a young man come to speak at his church in London. He's an American. His name was C.T. Studd. You might have heard of him. 
He's a great, he's kind of like the Billy Graham of the early 1900s. What a great name, Stud. I love that, man. So cool. And he just seemed to have a power in his life that F.B. Meyer didn't have. And he says this. I'm going to kind of read this to you, so pardon me, but it's so, so good. He said, I I led a very unsettled life for some time. He said, but a young man came to speak at my church, and I felt that he possessed the secret to joy that I did not have myself. And one morning I asked to meet with this young man, and I said, the fact is, I am very unhappy. Can you imagine that? Pastor, leader, traveling all over the world, speaking and teaching for God. I'm very unhappy. I'm a Christian minister. My people expect a great deal of me. But my heart is full of evil and I cannot deal with it. Will you please give me your secret? You have joy in your life that I don't. C.T. Studd said, there's nothing I have that you can't have. And he said, Mr. Meyer, have you... Have you given everything to God? Have you given yourself entirely to Jesus Christ? Well, I said, I've done so in a general way, but I don't think I've ever done that in particular. He said, you must do it in particular as well. Go and get along with God and settle this once and for all. He said, so that night I sat sat down in my bedroom. He said, I thought I could easily give myself to Christ but I had resolved that I would not sleep until I had settled this matter, surrendering everything to Jesus. I was deep in prayer and it was not long before. It was almost as if Jesus was there at my side. And he said, and in my vision, I took from my pocket a large ring of keys that I carried. And I said to Jesus, here are the keys to my life. And I gave him the ring of keys. He says, after. I took one small key for myself. (laughs) And he looked at me. And he said, are they all there? He said, well, they're all there, Lord, except for one tiny one. I have one key to a tiny little closet in my life. He said, but it's so small, it doesn't really matter. He said, my child, if you don't trust me with everything, you don't trust me with anything. He said, Satan whispered to me, you can't give that thing up. If you give Jesus that thing, there's no telling what he'll ask for next. Don't give it to him. He said, I tried to make terms with Jesus. I said, Lord, I'll be so devoted in everything else, but I cannot live without that closet, that one area of my life. He said, I believe, friends, that my whole life was hovering on the balance. And at last I said, Lord, I I can't give you the key. I am not willing, but I'm willing for you to take it. And he said, it was as if I held out my hand and he reached down and he took the key from my hand as he opened my fingers. And what did the Lord do? He went straight to that closet. He took that key. He opened that closet. And I said, there was a thing in there that was terrible and hideous. And Jesus said to me, this must go out and you must never go in. And he took that thing from me. He took the desire for it out of my soul. He said, I even began to hate it. And then I yielded myself absolutely to Jesus. And I said, from this night, Lord, 
I want you to do as you will with my life. He said the next morning, I expected a hallelujah feeling. He said, but I was as calm and serene as I am now. I'm sure you know, writing these pages. I only had a delightful sense that I did fully belong to Jesus Christ and I was filled with joy. Let's bow our heads this morning. Here in a moment, we're going to sing a song together. You are my king. You are my king. And I just wanted to ask you to think about for a moment, how true is that for you today? I believe all of us are somewhat like Mr. Meyer. We could all point to areas of our lives where Jesus is king. Where as an act of worship, we have given our wealth and our riches, so to speak, over to Jesus and made that sacrifice and said, this is yours, Lord. But I wonder today, I would imagine all of us are like Mr. Meyer in that there's a part of our life that we have said, Lord, that's, that's a closet. That's for me only, and that's off limits. wonder where that might be in your life today. And remember what the Lord Jesus has said there. If I'm not Lord of all, I'm not Lord at all. Think about that logic for a moment for Mr. Meyer to say, Lord, here are the keys to my life, all but one. Here they are, Lord. No, no, he's not Lord if he's not Lord of all. And so I just want to ask you to go before the Lord this morning. I want you to think about the joy in your life. Is it possible that joy has been fleeting or even far away from you? Because there's a, there's a pride. There's a stubbornness. There's a self-will in your life. Something that you cling to, hold on to, that you just won't let go of. And the Lord has been speaking to you about this for a long time. Perhaps even since your adolescence or even your childhood. You just never have let it go. Today, today, speak to the Lord about this life of worship that you lead. The Apostle Paul said, I exhort you, brethren, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable, logical act of worship. So let's be quiet together for a moment. Speak to Jesus about being the Lord of our lives. Hmm. Father, I just know it's so hard to compress things like this into just a few seconds, really a minute or two. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that there be anyone here today who's struggling for joy, fighting for joy, Lord, that you would just lead them to that place, Father, that they might settle this with you. They just might settle it once and for all. I pray that for all of us here, Jesus, that we here at Faith Covenant Church can be known as the people where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is worshipped, Jesus is sacrificed for and given to. I just pray that you do that great work in us as our church family, but also as individuals, as individual families, Lord. 
We just want so much, Lord, for you to be given the praise and the honor and the glory that you are so due. We just love you, Jesus. Worship you today. Amen. Amen.